This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast, Episode 101. From the nation's heartland, this is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Ideas and conversations with business and marketing experts. Here's the Street Savvy Marketer, Jim Raposa. Hey everyone, welcome to the very first episode of the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. My name is Jim Raposa. I am a marketing strategist and copywriter, and each week I will be here with guests and information I hope will benefit you, inspire you, and propel you to greater success in business and in life. Our guests on each podcast will run the gamut from uh, names in business, marketing, success strategists, personal development, even an entertainer or two. And as we travel this road together, I welcome your feedback. Please tell me what I can do to make this podcast a great experience for you with each download and each listen. You can reach me via the website at streetsavvymarketer.com. That's streetsavvymarketer.com. I got to tell you, when planning this first podcast, I thought of all the people I could interview, those who I would most desire to have as guest number one here, and one name kept coming back. It was kind of the I wish category. My first choice was a man whose recordings and, and his daily radio commentaries did an awful lot to guide me. His writings and his recordings still do. I'm talking about Earl Nightingale. And I'll bet there's a pretty good shot Earl has touched your life, too. He's still acknowledged as the Dean of Personal Development. Now, Earl passed away in 1989, but his widow, Diana Nightingale, is going to join us today and actually on our first few episodes of the Street Savvy Marketer podcast, sharing memories and insight into the legendary Earl Nightingale, what made him tick, his business motivation. Interesting, interesting stories. We'll begin our conversation with Diana Nightingale in just a moment. This is the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank accounts, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problem now by calling the experts at U.S. Tax Shield. U.S. Tax Shield offers a price protection guaranteed quote to get you protected today. Call now, 800-542-6227. That's 800-542-6227. 6227 US Tax Shield 800-542-6227 This is the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. Here's the Street Savvy Marketer, Jim Raposa. Welcome back. We kick off the Street Savvy Marketer podcast with a spotlight on a man who made his mark as a radio personality, a speaker, author, talking about Earl Nightingale. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now let me say that again. We become what we think about. Throughout all history, the great wise men and teachers, philosophers and prophets have disagreed with one another on many different things. It is only on this one point that they are in complete and unanimous agreement. That is an excerpt from Earl Nightingale's original 1956 recording of The Strangest Secret. And now, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Street Savvy Marketer podcast, 
our very first guest, the woman who continues to keep Earl's message alive, Diana Nightingale. What a thrill to have you on the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. I'm thrilled also. You know, I guess I'd like to start by talking a bit about Earl and what made him tick uh, before we get into uh, your ventures uh, as an author and speaker. Okay. And I, I guess, Diana, the, the, where I want to start is for all of the sound and worldly advice that Earl Nightingale dispensed through his recordings, through his radio broadcast, Our Changing World, I was struck the very first time I read the book Earl Nightingale's Greatest Discovery in uh, the introduction. Your late husband said, I must give very special thanks to Diana, my wife, without whose love and laughter, sound thinking and perseverance, this book would not have been written at all. She filled my life with love, laughter and sunshine at a very critical time. At a very critical time, and I guess I, that when I first read that, I thought, "Wow, Earl Nightingale has bad days and tough times too." <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> he, he was a human being. <laughs> so you, you never quite, think, you know, with Earl Nightingale, you think, "Oh God, Earl Nightingale, he's got all the answers." He shares them with us on the radio and in the recordings. Talk to me a little bit about the person, Earl Nightingale, and and how he dealt with the ups and the downs of life. Realized that life is full of ups and downs, and he had a really rugged childhood. I mean, they were really beyond poor. I mean, they lived in a tent. They relied on basically charity to even eat. So he went through tough times as a kid, but he was a kid, and they lived in Long Beach, on the beach, and so he was having a good time. Uh, He didn't really question it. He had the love of his mother, and he had his brothers, and that was good. And I don't think that children have that uh, perspective of, oh, my gosh, I don't have what other kids have, especially back then because... You know, we didn't have computers and social media and all that sort of thing. And then, of course, you know, he was blown off of the USS Arizona when it was under attack. And he came out of that. And I think that he just he just took it for granted that stuff happened. And he was a great believer in not talking about those things. He always said, it doesn't do you any good to complain and talk about your situation. And it certainly doesn't do anyone else any good either. Mm. And he was the kind of guy that if he, you know, woke up in the morning and he had a toothache, he didn't sit around and tell everybody he had a toothache. He got in the car and went to the dentist and got it taken care of and came home and had lunch and that was it. Mm. So he realized that to dwell on those kinds of challenges was counterproductive to doing what you wanted to do with your life. Now, I was wondering... As Because you and I, when we had first talked about doing this interview, you filled me in on, on a couple of things ab- about Earl. Some were devastatingly funny, but <laughs> certainly there was that uh, his experience in, in broadcasting the period after he got out of the military service, and he was in broadcasting and working for CBS. And along the way, this is always something that kind of perplexed me, because his story is something that, depending on where you get the info from, it can be a little blurry. How did he get into the insurance business? Um, He just decided to expand. Um, He had uh, his radio career and he was doing some TV and he wanted to, uh, to do something else as well. Basically, he thought that that was probably a good thing to do. And of course, he was good friends with W. Clement Stone. You know, it was just something that he decided he was going to try. Earl was not one to box himself into just one experience. 
and he was a young guy. I mean, he was a young guy, so he was out there to try different things. I guess that's something that, that kind of sets Earl Nightingale apart, uh, and probably many of the most wildly successful among us, from folks who... Uh, maybe just punch the clock. Not that there's anything wrong if that's what you do and what your aspirations are and you do it well, that's fine. But Earl was not afraid to take on a challenge, was he? No, not at all. And, uh, you know, basically he was doing what he loved. Um, you know, he went into the service because, like he said, a Marine recruiter promised to send him to China. And he thought that would be pretty cool. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, he was, he was a young kid. You know, he used to jump on the freight trains and, you know, make his way up to San Francisco as a kid, you know, looking for the adventure. So, sure, the idea of going to China was pretty cool. And he wanted to do that. And, of course, instead they sent him to Hawaii. And that was that was pretty nice, too, because before the attack on Pearl Harbor, they were having a good time. A bunch of young guys in Hawaii, you know. I mean, that was that was okay. Um, before he got out of the Marine Corps, radio was just really coming into its own, and they opened a new radio station close by um, to Camp Lejeune. And, and he went in, and he said he just fell in love. I mean, when he sat down behind that mic the first time, he, he just knew that he found home. That was it. When he got out of the service and he started his career in Phoenix, he realized that while he was doing what he enjoyed doing, the place to be was Chicago. That was the center for radio. Everyone told him he was crazy. I mean, he had a, he had a good paying job in Phoenix, and why would he want to do that? And because there were all these guys there, and they were all union card carrying guys, and the competition was incredible. And who did he think he was? And he thought, well, I'm going. And not only did he get a job, but he was actually offered a position with all three of the major networks. Mm. And, you know, he started out doing some broadcasting and whatever they handed to him, but then he became the voice of Sky King, and, and that was a lot of fun. And then he had his daily radio program, and it was just, it was who he was. I mean, Earl could not talk about the things that he marveled about in life. I mean, that's who he was. And to have a conversation about anything that was much less than that would have been just boring for him. So he was doing what he really enjoyed doing. And quite often people will say, what was the motivation behind him writing The Strangest Secret? Was it a goal? Did someone set this before him? And he said, no, he wanted to go fishing. You know, I mean, he would talk to the insurance guys on Saturday and inspire them to go back and ask for the sale one more time. And the manager said, you know, the men are so reliant on your talks that if you're gone for two weeks, we're not going to be in business when you come back. And Earl was also going fishing. I mean, you know, I mean, there was a part of him that loved to play. So he had a buddy over at Columbia Records, and so he wrote this message, and he put it on a record, and he said, here, play this. I'm out of here. I'm going fishing. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, he was what he called a river person. Uh, he talked about two kinds of people in life. The river people are the ones that are born with a burning desire to follow their passion, and they just get swept up in that, and it takes them wherever it takes them. And then the rest of us may not know what we want to do, so we set goals for ourselves and think, well, I'll do this for a while, or I'll try that, or whatever. And one way or the other, you can be a success or a failure, depending on your attitude. You know, one of the things that Earl would preach, and he certainly did that uh, with a number of his messages and in the book, uh, Greatest Discovery, was that your true success 
and I hope I'm going to paraphrase this correctly, Diana, that a person's true success is probably not all that far away from where their passion is. It's somewhere dead center or really around that very tight circle around somebody's main interest. And then it's a mistake to veer too far away from that unless, of course, you have exhausted all options within that and it's time to look at something else and reinvent yourself. So what were some of the ways that you observed your husband trying things that were may not have seemed like they were very closely associated with that main nucleus of, of what made Earl tick and, and his main operation in life. But uh, but w- once a project was completed or somewhere along the way, you could step back and say, oh, I see how this fits into the into the puzzle here. What jazzed him? What got him to say, hey, this seems like this would be kind of fun, uh, a real challenge. You know, what what made the, the man tick like that? Um, he loved thinking outside of the box. Uh, and again, it was interesting because before I met Earl, I always felt like I was some sort of an alien because I really didn't relate to most people. Earl had the same sense. And so when we met each other, we found out we were both aliens from the same planet, which was pretty nice. Mm. Because we, we thought alike and, and we had the same sense of humor and we looked at things from a different perspective. And I think that some of us are just born with a brain that says, I don't see it your way, but I do see it this way. And what do you think of this? And most people don't want to know that you don't think the way they do. And he was just really one of those people that, all right, set your goal. You might not know how to get there, but put it out there and all things will come into play if you are moving forward and working towards it. He always said to him, success was the progressive realization of a worthy ideal or goal. I think too many people sit down and they say, okay, this is what I want to achieve and I'll do this. It's like people say, where do you picture yourself in five years? I always say alive and well. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know because life has a way of once you follow your joy, it's like a bouncing ball, you mm. know? I mean, you follow where it takes you, and as long as you keep your eye on the ball, it'll take you to places you never expected to go. And I think that was the thing that he loved was the journey with the unexpected stops along the way. How big was Earl on setting goals? Oh, real big, but he didn't dwell on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would de- he would decide this is what he wanted to do, and then he'd go to lunch, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, he was big on lunch, real big on lunch, lunch and coffee. He just always knew that if it came to his mind and he gave it good consideration and it was something that he wanted to pursue, that he'd find a way, and then he'd just let it go, and he would. I mean, he just was never... Um, you know, I used to go into what I used to call my song, song and dance at the hour. You know, he'd be watching the football game and I'd come in with our family crisis, you know. And I used to say it was wonderful being married to Earl Nightingale because of the great insights and direction I got from him. And he'd take a moment away from the football game and he'd say, well, just let the world take a few turns and you'll figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) And that's pretty much what he felt. He felt that if you don't have the answer to the dilemma in this hour, 
take a break. It will come to you. You will find the person that will help you or you will find the information that you need or you will just work it out. But to get all tangled up in how you're going to solve all your problems and reach all your goals was just not something that he did. I mean, he, he, was, he worked hard, but he also he didn't stress over things. Boy, isn't that fascinating. Especially in that this. was my job. <laughs> that was your job. Okay, that was my job. Yeah. Well, as long as you had all of this stuff divvied up the right way, and you and and you were good at it, then I guess that that was fine. Now, when you and Earl met, this was not the first. Uh, uh, he had been married before. Do I have that correct? Yeah, we both had. Okay. Times. So I'm kind of curious. How did you two get together? And 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 were you aware of who Earl was when you met? And and just give me some sense of of that personal connection of of how the two of you uh, connected and and realized, hey, uh, this could be a good thing with the two of us. Well, um, I guess you'd have to back up. You know, from the time that I met him, back up eleven years. Uh, and I had uh, gone into real estate. I was living in Florida. And, of course, when you first go into real estate or into any profession, everybody wants you to turn tune into the gurus and the specialists. And so much of what I was being given in those days was really phony. Uh, it was just not in... Um, it wasn't in harmony with the way I felt you should become successful. I thought that if you choose a profession, you should be the very best that you can be. And then you don't need all of these uh, maneuvers and all of these things, all these schemes on how to get your hand in somebody's pocket, you know? Mm, yeah. So one Friday night, my broker said to me, Diana, I have something that I would like you to read and listen to this weekend. This man is my hero. And I said, if it's that personal development, motivational stuff, I don't want anything to do with it because I just feel that so much of it is just manipulative. He said, this guy's different. He said, really and truly. And he said, I wouldn't ask you to listen to something that I didn't highly recommend. And I thought, just say yes, because this guy's not going to give me a break. <laughs> so <laughs> I take the book, which was, this is Earl Nightingale, which was a compilation of his radio shows. And I'm sure the program must have probably been Lead the Field. And so I thought, I went home and it was a, a, gonna be an easy weekend. Uh, the kids were all busy doing stuff and I thought, might as well just listen to this stuff and get it over with. So I started listening to it and he spoke things that I would, that if I had felt that I was eloquent, I would have said. He spoke about things that I believe to be true, about being honest and working hard and setting goals. His philosophy was just so much like mine. And so on Monday morning, I went back and the broker said to me, did you listen to it? And I said, yeah, I did. And he says, were you really impressed? And I said, mm, I don't think I was impressed, but I said, I just felt like if I ever met someone like him, we would probably become really good friends. And he said, well, I'm going to inscribe the book to you, Diana. He said, he said, did you read the book? I said, no, I didn't have time to do that. And he says, well, it's his radio programs. And he said, they're great messages. And he said, I'm just going to inscribe the book to you. And I said, fine, thank you. And I took it home and put it in my bookshelf. Now, 11 years go by, and I have become a broker. 
I had sold uh, residential real estate, commercial real estate, uh, pre-construction condo developments. And I was working, believe it or not, as a timeshare salesperson. And I had gotten a call from this Yahoo up in Punta Gorda who thought I should come up there and check out their project. And I said, I didn't need to travel that far to go to work, darn it. And he says, well, we've got a really great project going on up here. And he said, you know, come on up. So I did. I went up and I went to work for them. And unbeknownst to me, Earl was a silent partner. And this whole place had been his uh, kind of his concept, always looking for a place to eat lunch, always looking for a place to have coffee. He was visiting a developer friend of his in Punta Gorda and had wandered down to Port Charlotte. And the old railroad tracks went down there and to where they used to put stuff on boats, and it was nothing. And he envisioned this beautiful yacht basin and said to his buddy, we should build something here, especially a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so they came up with the concept of doing this beautiful strip mall where downstairs there were restaurants and shops of all kinds and the Earl Nightingale restaurant at the very end of the pier and then upstairs would be timeshare apartments where people could look out at the yacht basin. And so I'd gone to work for them, and I was tops in sales. I was really tired. They'd put me to work first in the morning, and I'd stay there late at night. And the fellow said, make sure you get some good rest because we've got to come next to early on Saturday morning. Earl Nightingale's going to be here. And I thought, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I was tired, <laughs> and it was going to mean getting up like at 4.30 in the morning to go to this meeting that I really didn't want to go to, but it was mandatory. And the night before the meeting, I had just moved into a new condo. I was busy unpacking, paper hanging, and all that sort of thing, and I had an armful of books from a box, and I thought, I'm tired. I'm just tired. I can't do this. You know, I'll get to it later on, and I put the pile of books on the table, went to bed, And the next morning when I picked up my purse, which was on the table, on top of the pile of books was the book, This is Earl Nightingale. And I thought, hmm, I'll take it with me. Maybe the guy will sign it for me. Mm -hmm. So I went off to the meeting, and like I say, I was tops in sales, so I was out of my chair a bunch of times getting all my special checks and awards and my little plastic trophy and all that sort of thing. And after the meeting, everyone left the room, and as they left, they stopped to shake Earl's hand. And I thought, well, I'll stay behind because I want him to sign the book, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to hold anybody up. And so I handed him the book, and he stood there, and he grinned at me, and he said, are you married? And I said, no, just make it out to Diana. And he stood there, and he just grinned ear from ear, and he said, do you want to be? And I said, what's that, the Ben Franklin clothes? (laughs) And he said, no, it's called Asking for the Sale. And he signed my book, and the rest is history. (laughs) Had you met him before? No. So your first meeting with Earl Nightingale, he's asking you, are you married? Would you like to be? Yep. Uh, nowadays, they call a, a, a number and, and people show up and they take you away for doing stuff like that. What was your first, yeah. what was your inclination? What, what were you thinking when all, you know, I mean, this had to throw you off a bit. I thought, what a weirdo. I can't believe that a man of his stature would say something that stupid. I just thought that was just not professional. It wasn't the kind of thing you would expect from celebrity. He just wouldn't. I 
mean, some Yahoo in a bar, maybe, but not a real nightingale, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, then he, he called the office and was very businesslike and said that, you know, he had been talking to his partners and everybody and that he understood that I was tops in sales and that he'd been very impressed with all of my awards that I'd gotten that morning and asked me to go to dinner. And I said, no, um, I was coming down with the horrible, horrible cold. I mean, just terrible. It was freezing cold. It was January in Florida. And I just felt horrible. And he said, well, how about tomorrow? And I said, you know, I'd like to, but I said, it's the first day off I will have had in three weeks. I'm not feeling well. And he said, well, uh, how about Monday? <laughs> so I said, okay, Monday would be fine. And of course, all the salespeople were standing around trying to figure out what Earl Nightingale was calling me about. And, and I said to them, you know, if you Yahoo's were tops in sales, you'd be going to dinner with Earl Nightingale. I mean, I re- really <laughs> did not take it personally, you know. I mean, I just thought that it was just a nice gesture on his part because I was doing well for the company and making us all some money. So you had no idea that that he had a personal bent on this. No. You really thought this had to do with uh, just, hey, he's impressed and he's taking me out to dinner and this was a professional call. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, you know, his first remark, he was just being humorous trying to be friendly because I had been collecting the checks that morning and maybe it was just an ill attempt to be humorous or something. Hmm. But he said he he knew me the minute he saw me. He said he'd been looking for me his whole life and I figured he'd get over it. (laughs) Well, that's not exactly how you... you, uh... How you figure a a love story is going to start, but I guess you got to start somewhere. So, at what point did did you start to think, uh, "Hey, I'm feeling something here." You know, he um, he was living in Carmel, and I was living in Florida, and so of course he went back to California and started calling me the day he got home, and we would have these long conversations about life and how we thought, and I mean, just really kind of had this mind connection, I thought. He used to say to me that I was the one. I was the one, and he'd give me a chance to get used to the idea. And I, of course, thought uh, that's never going to happen, but we can be really good friends, especially when you're, you know, I'm in Florida and he's in California. And we really connected, and I think that I wasn't aware of the fact I didn't know what was happening. Let's put it that way. I just knew that we had a wonderful connection, and I loved his phone calls. It filled my life. The phone calls filled my life, and they were not personal. They really were about what we had done that day, what our kids were doing. We talked about our kids as though we knew each other's kids. It was an incredible connection. And he had uh, he'd had heart surgery back in August. And I think that's why he said at a critical time in his life, because he really kind of looked death in the face and said, what's it all about? Mm. He felt that he had never found the person he was looking for. And he said that it kept him going, thinking maybe tomorrow I'll find her. So he was having some health issues. And his partner and his wife were visiting him for Earl's birthday. And I didn't hear from him. And it wasn't like Earl. I mean, Earl was, he was there from the minute he signed that book. And I thought, well, maybe they took a trip. Maybe they went to San Francisco. But I kept thinking, that's not like Earl. I mean, he would call. Several days went by, quite some time went by, as a matter of fact. And I woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. And I thought that I heard Earl call my name. 
that morning I called his home. I did not call him ever. And his partner answered, and he said, I'm so glad you called. I didn't have your phone number, and Earl has been after me to call you. He said, Earl's in the hospital. And I said, I will get on the next plane. He came home, and we were walking on the golf course there in, in Carmel, hand in hand. And it was like a bolt out of the blue. And I thought, all my life I've been restless. I always felt like I had to be someplace. And I realized in that moment that that's where I was supposed to be. And I realized that I had just fallen hopelessly in love with this man and that I would never leave him. What, may I ask, was he hospitalized for? Um, He was hospitalized for... He had had his heart surgery, and he had had other health issues. So he had several physicians, all of whom were prescribing medications for him, and the combination of any two could have killed him. Wow. Yeah, and so his behavior, his partner felt, was erratic and irrational and wanted to have him uh, hospitalized because he felt that he was losing his mind. And I basically broke him out of there and against everybody's better wishes. And I thought, this, no, this, this is not right. I talked to this man every day for three hours and there's nothing wrong with him. And I was the first one to say, let's call your doctors and find out what your medications are. So once we got that straightened out, he came back like gangbusters. I mean, he was, he wrote uh, his book. He wrote many things. He Everything shifted, and he became more productive than he had ever been. And unfortunately, that's where we're going to have to leave things off in our conversation with Diana Nightingale for this episode. On the next episode of the Street Savvy Marketer podcast, Diana Nightingale explains Earl Nightingale's work ethic, how he chose topics for his essays and radio commentaries, his passions for life. He's a very interesting man. It's the kind of insight you can only get right here. A closing thought in just a moment. Ideas and conversations with business and marketing experts. This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Hi, I'm Joan London. When I needed to find senior care for my mom, I really struggled to find the right fit. That's why I recommend A Place for Mom, the nation's largest senior living referral service. A Place for Mom has helped over 200,000 families find the right senior care for their parents, from assisted living to independent living, even Alzheimer's care. To speak with a local senior living advisor, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-473-7516. That's 1-800-473-7516. Call today. Diana Nightingale spoke of how she and Earl met, fell in love, and Earl's health struggles. You know, we all face challenges in life. All that she shared brings to mind this quote from British philosopher Bertrand Russell. The secret of happiness is this. Let your interests be as wide as possible, and let your reactions to the things and persons that interest you be as far as possible friendly rather than hostile. A good thought to ponder until we next gather here on the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. We're running a bit late. I'm Jim Raposa, inviting you to visit the website streetsavvymarketer.com. Post your feedback, please. Let us know who you'd like to hear as a guest, too. I'm Jim Raposa. Thanks so much for listening. So long. You've been listening to the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. For more on this and previous episodes, go to streetsavvymarketer.com. Tell a friend about us. Thanks for listening. A presentation of Raposa Media.